Welcome back to McCann Dogs. This is episode 47 of our McCann Dogs podcast. And uh, joining me as always is uh, the director of online training at the My Dog Can program, Shannon Viljasso. I'm going to welcome you, Shannon. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here again, Ken. Now, today's topic is uh, can be perceived as a controversial one. And I think it was uh, spurred from a, a video that we, uh, both Shannon and I have seen on social media. And if you're listening at home, you may have seen this video as well. And it's uh, stirred a little bit of controversy where a, a child is hugging a dog. And um, I think uh, how the video is perceived is really what has brought this message uh, up for Shannon, certainly. And it's something that we need to talk about because I think, uh, you know, it can actually uh, have some really negative consequences. Uh, we, we've heard Shannon uh, talk about the Disney model of dogs in the past. And I think that's something that we're going to uh, dive a little deeper into today. But uh, on that note, uh, we're going to talk about the final hug. Whose choice will it be? I'm Ken Steep and welcome back to McCann Dogs. <laughs> So Shannon, I know this this article or this post struck a chord with you, and I think um, maybe you can uh, give a little further explanation about the post that we're talking about for our listeners. Yeah, definitely. So um, I posted a video that I happened to come across online, and it was of a young child hugging a Rottweiler, and you could hear in the background whoever was videoing it was encouraging the child to keep hugging. Oh, the dog loves you. This is wonderful. And despite that this might have been in her mind a setup scene that was wonderful and lovely, it was horrifying to me to watch because this dog had a full mouth snarl on as the child leaned into him. Full mouth snarl on, every single teeth showing, lots of growling, lots of very clear body language. And I, I try as much as possible to educate wherever I can. When I'm out with my own dogs, when I'm writing for the McCann blog, when we're doing our podcasts, you know, I try as much as possible to say you've got to look for more subtle signs of body language. You, you know, don't miss the things like the the ears pinned back or or the lick lipping that that shows that um, dogs are are experiencing a little bit of stress or they're uncomfortable with the situation. You know, there's there's something called whale eye where if you can see the brights of the eyes, chances are that dog is taken aback by whatever's going on and they're 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 showing restraint hopefully but they're also trying to say in dog language I'm not comfortable please stop what you're doing and I can understand how people can miss those more subtle signs and I've posted videos and whatnot before of dogs showing those subtle signs and and pointing them out and and you know talking to our community about them and and getting feedback from our community so again those subtle signs I can understand people missing but I can't understand anybody would that anybody would be able to miss that full you know 42 teeth snarl from this dog saying I am not comfortable with this. You need to stop. And the unfortunate thing that it comes out of us having fur kids instead of dogs in our household is that psychologically people think of them differently. They don't think of them like little dogs or like big dogs for that matter. They think of them as little humans. And that puts us in a position where we expect them to behave as humans would. And then we're surprised when they do things that are inhuman. And that 
should not be a surprise to anybody. And that dog snarling and warning that child off, it should not be a surprise to anybody that that dog is saying, I don't like this. I don't want you in my face. And I'm about to take it to the next level and potentially snap at you or bite you. And of course, the, the dog is right eye level with the child. So it's all that much more terrifying to watch this video and try to learn from it without looking away in horror. So that video in itself, um, when I posted it separately on our Facebook page, there were so many comments say, talking about what I just said, you know, horrified with this scene and why is this person doing that? And why is this person allowing and why do they think it's okay? And of course that started my brain spinning with the same thing. Why do people think this is okay? Why does this woman trust her dog so much in this scenario that she is willing to risk her child or even worse, she doesn't think that her child is at any great risk in this scenario. And it's because of the way we've started thinking about dogs in the last couple of decades. Instead of continuing to treat them like a different species, which is what they are, we are considering them to be little humans. And then unfortunately, dangerous situations like this are just a disaster waiting to happen. So I took to uh, the McCann blog and wrote a post about it talking about, you know, the ramifications of this situation and just that the psychological background behind thinking that the furry four-legged family members are actually little humans and are going to behave as little humans do. I think um, I, I, there's a few points that immediately jump into my mind. I think uh, the I, the language for sure, uh, being uh, pet parents or having fur kids, I think really does take away from the uniqueness that is our dogs. I think uh, we we you and I often talk about how uh, dogs are our four-legged family members, but they're they hold a very unique position in our families you know that they aren't children and they it, it, to say that they are our fur kids or that we're a pet parent sort of takes away from the uh unique treatment their unique requirements uh that they have because they are dogs um i think it's um, so easily overlooked the other thing that always concerns me is uh this desire that so many people have to post an adorable photo or video on their social media. And I, I feel like people are more and more willing nowadays to put their dogs into a uh, compromising position. And they don't intentionally put them in a compromising position, but to get that shot or to get that adorable video, uh, I think people are willing to go the, uh, the, the extra mile to try to get, uh, you know, that shot. Uh, I, I think it's quite a dangerous situation. Now, you uh, were a Rottweiler owner. I was. Yes, and, I miss my Quincy. She was such a great dog. Yeah, and, and the dog in this um, in this video that we're talking about was a Rottweiler. And I think you and I uh, have talked before about how uh, there, even with uh, dogs of that breed, maybe there's uh, you know um, a perception that uh, they they have traits and behaviors that could be very easily misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I remember hearing a lot when I was a Rottweiler owner, a, a phrase that went that said um, that they had the rotty purr. And what that was, was basically a growl being disguised as something cute. And I think that dogs sometimes are their own worst enemies in these situations, because thank goodness for this, they, a well-bred, well-tempered dog will have very large thresholds. So if you've got a well-bred Rottweiler that you're 
you've you've trusted you've thought that this dog is not going to cause me any harm because you haven't seen a lot of warning signs from them that sometimes will work against you because it'll convince you that that dog is different it'll convince you that because you've never really heard them growl that they're not necessarily ever going to growl and that couldn't be further from the truth i mean bless the dog who has a high threshold before they get to the point where they're going to turn around and snap and bite but I cannot say it enough. Every single dog will bite. You know, as long as they still have a functioning mouth and teeth, they will absolutely bite given the right set of circumstances. And some dogs have very low thresholds. So if you have a dog that's maybe got um, not as strong a temperament or they're, they're a little bit more skittish of environment or children or people, you will see those behaviors come out a little bit quicker. So you'll see that dog growl or snap or cower. Or, you know, you'll see obvious body language from that dog that says, okay, warning, we need to be careful with this dog. But in the case of this Rottweiler, for example, and thank goodness this Rottweiler has high thresholds, those dogs are bred to be very tough. They're bred to be able to take, you know, physicality from livestock, et cetera. They're bred to be able to take kicks from cows, et cetera, and still keep working. So that works to our advantage in some situations where we can make mistakes and the dog will be tolerant of those mistakes. And, you know, we all make mistakes. That's just life. But we definitely should never on purpose put a dog in the position where we are challenging those thresholds. We should always make sure that we're as respectful as possible. And we teach our children especially to be respectful of all dogs. And even if you have a dog at home that is, and we've talked about this before, if you have a dog at home that is the most tolerant dog you've ever known and you've never seen them, you know, so much as lift a lip or, or, or growl or anything of that nature, and they've always been wonderful with the kids, First off, again, it doesn't mean that that's not going to change one day if they've got, if they're having a bad day, if they're in pain for some reason, if they're feeling a little less tolerant because they're tired or, or you know, something happens. It also, it gives such a bad message to those kids and it tells kids that it's okay to go and hug dogs. So whether it's your own dog or another dog, it, it's never okay. It's always putting the dog in a bad situation. And, you know, like I said, there's going to be some dogs that are very tolerant of it. Um, one of the comments on that Facebook art or on the uh, post that I put out um, on that Rottweiler, one of the comments was from um, a woman who had said that, she always makes sure that she educates her children and she did it in such a great way. She had taught them that, you know, if the dog comes over to snuggle with you, that's great. You can let them, no problem. But you do not in any way, shape or form try to restrain that dog to keep them snuggling with you. If that dog decides, you know, even three seconds in, I don't want to be here anymore and walks off, that's him saying, I don't want to be in this scenario anymore. And you let him go. And I think that that is such a great way to deal with dogs and kids together and teaching kids to be respectful of dogs, respectful of their space, and also cautious with situations where, you know, there's there's great family dogs out there that are going to come and they're going to ask for interaction with the children and they might plop down on the children's lap and they might snuggle in. And, and there's nothing wrong with that if it's, if it's a good supervised situation. Children should always be supervised with dogs, of course. 
And as long as the child knows, you are always just to let the dog go when they want to go. Never, ever try to keep them there. I thought that was a really great comment, and I was grateful for that one coming up. I really like that uh, perspective. I, I really like that approach to uh, te- mm-hmm. teaching your kids about dog bites. I uh, look reading your article. Um, there's approximately half a million dog bites in Canada every single year, and it looks like uh, 375,000 of those were uh, involving kids that were 10 years of age or less. Um, yeah, I, I think something people may overlook is the fact that you may think to yourself, oh, that, you know, my dog doesn't have a, a mean bone in his body. He's never shown any signs of aggression. Uh, and it doesn't need to be aggression. You know, we're, you and I are speaking specifically about a situation where we're putting our dogs in a vulnerable situation, but some dogs, uh, I'm thinking about some of the herding breeds, if they get stimulated enough, they can bite. Uh, they were, they were bred to do exactly that. Uh, if they're startled again, it's not aggression. It's not fear. It's just the, their, uh, startle response. They can bite uh, You know, dogs use their mouths uh, for uh, a lot of enga- uh, interaction and engagement. Um, so some of these, even if you think you know my dog isn't uh, doesn't have a mean bone in his body or he's so little what what's there to worry about but this this isn't necessarily coming from a place of aggression yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing. We're not looking at little people who are either mean or not mean. It's not anywhere near as black and white as that. These are dogs and dogs, because they're a different species, we need to respect them as a different species. They have four legs, they have fur, they introduce themselves to other dogs by sniffing butts, and they have a mouthful of razor blades that they will use when they need to use them. They're predatory creatures. You know, this is not a situation where it's about that mean bone in their body, if you will. It's about the fact that they are dogs and they will act as dogs not as little humans so that includes growling and snapping and biting in situations and we can and should train and build those thresholds and do everything we can to make our dogs safe in society it's not that we sort of have a situation where we take it or leave it we do need to do a lot of work to make sure that they're tolerant of handling and we can stick them in the bath and we can take things out of their mouth when we need to that we can have them drop things on command we can control the situation um but we need to do it respectfully as dog owners, not as little people owners. You know, they're not going to act as people do. They're going to act as dogs do. And these are the two most impressionable um, family members that we've got are our children and our dogs. And to uh, to let them sort it out on their own isn't an option. You know, they, they need supervision. I, we often talk about, um, you know, uh, anytime you have a new dog in the household or a new child in the household, supervision is of paramount importance. That is that is your focus and goal. If you aren't able to supervise either one, then, uh, you know, you put the dog in their crate or somewhere safe that they can, uh, you know, that they can be. Um, so I think this really boils down to uh, giving your dog good information or giving those little humans, giving your children good information uh, on this specific topic. I think we often see um, these adorable pictures and we think, oh, the, you know, dogs are just so friendly that uh, that we can get away with more than, than we really can. And uh, it happens so quickly. I, I like yeah. the point in your article where you say it's like a car accident. We never expect it to happen, but it can happen. We, we see a lot of um, uh, situations that come in for private training at McCann Professional yes. Dog Trainers where uh, it's just happened. It, there was no, in, the, in the, uh, the owner's mind, there was no warning signs. It just happened. So uh, yeah. you need to be aware. 
Absolutely. And that is the biggest point I wanted to make in this article. So you talked about numbers a minute ago, half a million dog bites. And of those 375,000 were children under the age of 10. So these are situations where there was either, you know, a colossal mistake made or the parent trusted that this situation was not going to happen. And I really wanted to drive home the point that nobody ever expects it. If they expected it, they would take steps to stop it. So please don't think that your situation is going to be different. You don't expect it. And I completely can understand that because I love my dogs implicitly and I trust my dogs implicitly, but the difference is I trust them as dogs. The trust that I give them is not based on something that's so unrealistic, as unrealistic as my dogs pretending to be little humans or becoming little humans. The trust that I have in my dogs is based on them being dogs. And I recognize and I know where the weaknesses are in both of my dogs that I'm living in, living with right now. I know where they might be a little bit concerned in one situation or be a little bit stimulated in another other situation. And I can recognize those things and keep us all safe because I recognize that they're dogs. So please, if there's one thing that you take away from this whole thing, let it be that everybody that's had this happen to them is shocked about it. So chances are they all thought the same thing that you're thinking right now, that your dog is trustworthy, that your dog is different, that it's not going to happen with your dog. Please believe me when I say nobody expects this to happen. Everybody is always surprised when it does. And I mean, if you read through the articles of kids being bitten or people being bitten or, you know, this dog causing incredible damage in a situation, everybody always says, we, we didn't expect it. They've never done anything like that before. It came out of the blue is a, is a big one that you hear a lot in conjunction with stories to do with dog bites. And it rarely comes out of the blue. It, it really is all about thresholds and how how big a threshold your dog has, how small a threshold your dog has. And believe me, they are all different. So you need to evaluate each and every single dog as an individual canine, not as a little human. And if you had um, some sort of advice to give to maybe a parent at home um, who has kids and now is in absolute fear of letting their kids interact with their dogs, do you have a sort of a couple rule rule of thumb ideas for them teaching their kids to engage with dogs? Yeah, absolutely. The more you can talk about it, the better off you're going to be. And have the children be involved in things. Like as a supervising parent, have the children be involved in things like the training aspect so that you can start, you can open the dialogue with your child about how to work on things like sits and downs. And I always recommend with people in classes, I always say, you know, you hold the leash, you do the heavy lifting, but you know, you can have your child do things like give the cue and then you follow through with if it was a sit, for example, you would follow through with the sit placement and then the child can reward for that. Have the child do things like the, the feedings for the dog and make sure that there's manners instilled in the dogs in those feeding situations. So for example, if the child were to put down the food bowl, the dog should sit and wait. And of course the parent should be there to make sure that happens until the child then releases the, the dog to get the food, things like that. Having the child involved in a very productive way rather than just having them, you know, have a free for all with the dog and and have it just be about play between the kid and the dog. You want to make sure that there's also some responsibility there that you're supervising and you're teaching good lessons based on that. 
I also like to say those of us that are not parents, I don't have children myself. My my sister has two, so I get uh, great fill with my niece and nephew and I get to educate them very well and they love helping out with my dog training, which is always wonderful because I love teaching them. But I also spend a lot of time educating people in the general public. And that's because I walk my dogs in a lot of public areas and of course they're the most adorable things ever. So everybody always wants to come and say hello. And I've written about this before that a lot of the times I don't get asked if the the child can come and say hello or or the adult even can come and say hello to my dog and I always take that opportunity you know initially it felt very awkward I, to to stop people and and not chastise them but try to say hey you know what my dog might not be friendly and I think that you should try this 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 and this or at least you know ask before approaching any strange dog initially it felt really awkward but once I got into the groove of it it felt really good to do it and it felt productive and it felt like something that I could be proud of helping to spread the word. And you know what? When you do that, not everyone is receptive. And I've come to terms with that. I, I used to get very upset when somebody would, you know, tell me off for trying to trying to get them to just take a step back and not let their, especially with their kids, people were either extremely grateful with their kids or they were very upset that I would dare to question their parenting and not that I was questioning their parenting. I'm just questioning their, their uh, interaction with my dogs and trying to help and trying to educate. But I would get very upset. Like, why would somebody be so upset when I'm only trying to help? But at this point, it's water off a duck's back. I don't let it bother me anymore. I move on from that scenario. And I just think, I hope that person thinks next time, even if they're really mad at me and they swore at me and whatever, I hope next time they think and they say to their child, you know what, you should ask if you could pet that dog. And they get a good positive answer before moving on and allowing the child to pet. So education really, really is key. Yeah, I really like that one. And it is uh, shocking to me that people would uh, take offense to the fact that you're trying to help their kids learn a little something. But um, I think that that is a really, really important approach. Lots of good information uh, in that uh, in today's podcast. Now, something that Shannon, you and I have wanted to do is answering some of our listeners questions. And we have a question set up at the end of our, our podcast episode. We have a question from Ashley, Ashley Nicole Meir, who says, who asks, how do you introduce a puppy to your cats? And I think this is a question that, uh, you know, we've heard on more than one occasion, but if, uh, what sort of advice do you have for Ashley uh, to introduce her puppy to her cats? Definitely. It can be a common thing for people to have to deal with because a lot of us that love dogs love cats as well and vice versa. So what I always do, I, I always consider it twofold and really it depends on the cat as well. So if you've got one of those cats that rules the roost and will just stand their ground and maybe hang out with the dog and not run, that cat is going to be much, much easier to deal with with a young puppy. If you've got a cat that potentially might run from the dog, I like to make sure, first of all, that there's always somewhere that the cat can get to so that they can get away from the dogs when they need to, because sometimes the dogs can be overwhelming even in just trying to have fun and, you know, butt sniffing, etc. So with a young puppy, I will always make sure that I keep them separated until I've got some skills on the pup. So I don't want to be constantly nagging at the dog before they understand how to respond to any of my cues, because then I become this force that is really annoying and my puppy is probably going to be confused about the whole situation. So with a young puppy, I will usually 
put the cat away for a little bit, bring the bring the dog or bring the puppy out, play and interact with the dog, and then switch them back out again. I also make sure, and I had it set up in my house so that there was an eye hook on a door upstairs, and that's where I would keep the litter. So I never had to deal with uh, dogs trying to get into the litter either. And that was a really nice thing because the cats could fit in there, but the dogs couldn't. Um, little cheater way for those of us that have dogs that are bigger than the cats. If you have little dogs, you're going to have to deal with teaching them to stay out of the litter box. Um, but I also like to make sure that once the puppy has some skills, I teach that puppy how to interact productively with the cat. So I will supervise all interactions. I'll make sure I have a long line on and response to verbal cues as well at the, at the point where I let them loose together. And then I'll just teach the puppy what I want them to do. And if the cat is into playing with the puppy, great. I'll let the tube play and have fun. And I'll just step in if I think it's getting to be a little bit out of control or I don't like something that I'm seeing. But if the, the dog and the cat are playing and having a blast, great. I let them have a great relationship and enjoy each other. And I make sure that I also practice lots of obedience with my puppies around those cats. So once my dog is at a point where he has some verbal cues and he know he has some skills and he can listen to some of the cues that I give him, that's when I'm going to bring the cat in and have my dog, you know, do a go and lie down on his bed or sit, stay or something of that nature. And I'll build in some emotional control when it surrounds that cat. So it's not just, oh, I see the cat and I give chase. We don't want that predatory instinct to kick in. We want them to live harmoniously. So again, if the, if the cat is the type of cat that's going to play and have fun and enjoy the dog, that's great. But either way, I want to make sure that I can get a response from my puppy. I can get the dog to stop on a dime when I need to. And sometimes that means a little bit of man management until those skills are in place. Uh, having we had a border collie uh years ago that would herd our cat and and we had to put a line on her and, and uh, teach her to leave the cat alone or separate the two of them i think it was really important for both of the animals sake but um Definitely. i want to i want to thank ashley for the great question and um i want to remind our listeners that uh if you'd like some uh personalized dog training you can check out our my dog can uh program it's will teach you how to teach your dog to come when called to walk on a loose leash to sit and stay when asked and uh, uh, all kinds of other exercises. But if you're interested in having a well-behaved four-legged family member, then make sure you check out the description or the, the link in the show notes below. And I want to thank you guys for listening to our McCann Dogs podcast. It's uh, lots of fun having this, these conversations every week. And uh, this is we, we're wrapping up episode 47. I can't believe we've, uh, we've uh, completed so many of them, Shannon. It's, it's pretty exciting. It's amazing, and I love doing them. They're so fun. Yeah, I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. Um, if this is your first time hearing us, make sure you hit that follow button or that subscribe button. And uh, we'd love for you to give us a rating on uh, your wherever you're getting your podcast from, whether it's Google Play or Apple Podcasts. We would, uh, we, I think, it really helps us um, spread the word and, and uh, you know get, introduce people to our show. So we would love for you to uh, give us a rating there. Definitely. On on that note, I want to thank you guys for listening, um, and I want to wish you happy training. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast, and if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.